If you would please bow your heads with me. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for blessing us with such a glorious, beautiful Sabbath morning. And Father, as this day goes by, may we be mindful of your presence as you lift us up, Lord, face to face, to sit with you. And Father, as I share the words that you've given me to share with your people, I pray, Lord, that you just keep me hid behind the cross and let it be your voice heard, Lord. And may all the hearts here today be touched and changed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen. Victory in Jesus. What does that mean? Why do we seek victory in Jesus? Do we really understand that phrase? Three words, simple, direct, victory in Jesus. We need to understand the why so our what can be powerful. We need to understand why we need victory so our lives can be powerful. Well, Webster Dictionary tells us victory, the word itself, victory means an act of defeating an enemy or opponent in a battle, a game, or other competition. Some synonyms that was given was success, triumph, conquest, win, favorable result, landslide, superiority, supremacy. When we hear those words, victory, and specifically victory in Jesus, it gives us somewhat of an idea of what our condition is. So in understanding why we need victory, we need to understand what is our present condition and why we need it. You see, in John 3, if you would turn to there, please, with me, turn to John chapter 3. In this story that we're going to read together today, and actually, before we we start here, I wanted to make sure I get everyone's permission that every morning this weekend, we are going to take a journey together. Is that okay? We are going to journey together through God's word in understanding victory in Jesus. And I have your permission, yes? Amen. Amen. In chapter 3 of the book of John, Jesus is sitting down with someone by the name of Nicodemus. And I'll start with verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Isn't it amazing that Nicodemus acknowledged who Jesus was? Being a ruler of the Jews, but funny, he came to Jesus in the night. Why do you think? He did not want anyone else to see him talking with Jesus the way he was and inquiring of Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's take a pause here for a minute. Jesus said, if a man, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The one thing that Jesus did here, brothers and sisters, was acknowledge that our first birth, there was something wrong. In our first natural earthly birth, something was wrong. That we need to be born again. You know, we live in a society today that you will hear, I'm born this way. There's nothing you can do about it. This is how I am. My father was like this. My grandfather was like this. And so I'm like this. My mother behaved this way. My grandmother was like this. They have similar attitudes. So what do you think I am? For many years in my life, brothers and sisters, I said to myself, I'm born this way. There's nothing anyone can do about it. And that's when I left the church and lived a life that was not intended by God. For 20 years, I identified as a butch lesbian. I was born that way. If we take note in this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus and Nicodemus, Nicodemus actually begins to open up to Jesus. And he innocently, innocently asks Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? I'll understand. He says, can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? It was a very innocent question. And Jesus clarifies and he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. What excuses do we have, brothers and sisters? What excuses do we make for our condition? That's all we're doing. I say, I used to say, I was born this way. There's nothing you can do about it. And God made me this way. We take it a step further, right? We actually blame God for our condition sometimes, don't we? 
But Jesus simply, simply appeals to us and says, be born again in me. Be born again in me. Sister White says, she says, the idea that it is necessary only to develop the good that exists in man by nature is a fatal deception. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Of Christ it is written, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The only name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. It is not enough to perceive the loving kindness of God, to see the benevolence, the fatherly tenderness of his character. It is not enough to discern the wisdom and justice of his law, to see that it is founded upon the eternal principle of love. Paul, the apostle, saw all this when he exclaimed, I consent unto the law that it is good. The law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. But he added this, brothers and sisters. Paul said, in the bitterness of his soul, anguish and despair, I am carnal, sold under sin. Do we understand our condition today, brothers and sisters? Paul continues, he longed for the purity, the righteousness to which in himself he was powerless to attain. And Paul cried out, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? What does Jesus say? That we must be born again of the water and of the spirit. Not one is righteous. No one. And our righteousness is but filthy rags, brothers and sisters. We deceive ourselves. There's a deception going on in humanity today. We like to make excuses. We want the answers. We want to understand. We want to get all the answers before we can accept truth. It's human nature to want to understand, to want to be clear. But then where does faith come in, brothers and sisters? In understanding our condition, there's nothing in of ourselves that can make things right. Do we cry out to God and understand our condition? Or do we wait for promises to be fulfilled before we can step forward and trust God? Do we always need to find the answers? Do we always need to understand? Brothers and sisters, I tell you, I did not understand what was going on in my life 
when God finally grabbed my attention. For 20 plus years, after a long-term relationship and after having a daughter with another woman, God grabbed my attention. And the first thing, the first thing that he impressed upon me, that he had never left me. Never. And I'm standing here before you today because I'm also a product of a mother's prayers. A faith in a mother's prayers. And when God finally got my attention, brothers and sisters, with that conviction that came upon my heart so loud and clear, if Sunday is a counterfeit to my Sabbath, my child, what do you think is a counterfeit to my creation? That's what the conviction was that fell on my heart. And I fell to my knees and I didn't quite understand what that conviction meant. What, Lord, are you telling me that I'm a counterfeit? I mean, all my life, all I understood was that you made me this way. There was nothing else I've known from, the, from when I was very little. I'm a counterfeit? And it was days upon days upon days later that God brought me to scripture in the book of Romans. If you could turn there, please. Say amen when you get there. Book of Romans, chapter 1. We're dealing in a day and age now, brothers and sisters, that we all operate by our feelings. We define what is right and what is good by how we feel. And I know all of you, most of you know as of late, what legislation has just passed in the entire United States. Same-sex marriage is now legal throughout the U.S. And in the Bible, of all the verses in the Bible, from Leviticus to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, specifically in verse 10, there's no real reason why homosexuality is a sin, but that it is an abomination to God. Why is it an abomination? And this is what I was asking in the beginning of our time this morning, is we need to understand why we need victory. What is our condition? However, in Romans chapter 1, Paul gives us the reason. In chapter 1, verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness 
through the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie. Let's pause there because there's a comma. Now Paul is about to explain what the lie is. And worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, what was going on, let's, let's take a pause here. What's going on here, the book of Romans, is that there, people started worshiping things, images, creatures, animals, trees. But Paul took note of something interesting. Paul noticed something among human beings towards each other. And he continues this description in verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. Paul tells us there's a lie. And then he describes women being with women and men being with men. He noticed something about this. And not so much of that interaction between women and women and men and men. But he saw something deeper. He saw the lie that they serve the creature more than the creator. You see, brothers and sisters, in a same-sex relationship, in two same sexes, you have a woman with a woman, same body parts, similar features. It's like looking in a mirror. A man with a man, same masculinity, Somewhat, for some, similar body parts. It's like looking in a mirror. What was Paul doing here? Was he crowning one particular sin over another? Paul continues in this passage from verse 29 on to 32, mentioning all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debates, deceit, malignity, whisperers. Basically what Paul did was he aligned all of this with worshiping the creature than the creator. This is the crux of the human problem, brothers and sisters, that we have put ourselves above God. We've put our feelings and our own thoughts before God. We have given ourselves more power than faith in God. 
We've put the cart before the horse, actually. In our state of confusion, we try to make things work. We try to, we try to fix it ourselves. And I got this. I'm going to make this right. I'm going to make this work. And all we find ourselves is falling again. I've counseled so many young people and young adults. Why do I keep falling again? Why do I keep on doing what I'm not supposed to do? Is the main question that is always asked in so much torment and torture. They don't understand how to get free from that which binds them. First and foremost, we must understand our condition. Why do we worship ourselves? This is the crux of our problem. Just like Adam and Eve found themselves in the garden, running from God instead of to God. So brothers and sisters, my challenge for you this weekend and as we journey together this morning is ask yourself with God, Lord, examine my life. What excuses have I made in my life today? Who am I? Why? is an important question to answer. You know, when you have a toddler, they go through a certain stage and that's all they ask is, why, mama? Why? Because, honey, that's the way it is. Why, mama? Why? It's inherent in us to ask that question. And it demands an answer. And the only way we're going to find that answer is in God's word. Amen. And we're going to find these answers together this weekend by God's grace. And I want to appeal to your hearts this morning. Whatever you do, you may have been in ministry for years. You may have been in ministry just for a short while. Or maybe you're still in the, in the, in the valley of decision of, what you want to do for God. Maybe you're heading to Souls West, Souls Northwest, Arise, AFCO. Ask yourself why. Why are you doing this? Why do you feel that call on your heart? when I had that conviction upon my heart from the Lord, I realized that I had lived a life that did not glorify Him. I'd lived a life that was run by my own feelings and brokenness.
We're all broken, brothers and sisters. We're all broken in need of healing. And if our victory does not instill healing in our lives, then we're far from victory. If our victory does not produce healing in our lives, we're far from victory. And Jesus is the great physician who wants to heal our brokenness, who wants to bring us full circle to understanding the why. So our what can be powerful. Let us bow our heads. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this time to take a look at your word, dear Father, and to see our condition and why victory is necessary, Lord. And not just victory in of itself, but victory in Jesus. Thank you. Lord, for humbling us. Make us willing, dear Father, to be willing to be made whole in your hands this weekend. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.